So I was selling auto parts. I got a sales job <clears throat> selling auto parts for SIG Auto Parts. And some of you from Ames may remember what SIGs was like. SIGs is like White Castle is up here. Bad. At least in my opinion. I, you may love White Castle. I don't mean to, you know, you know, be down on your particular likes, but I think the place stinks. I don't even like to look at it. I wouldn't even go in one. I think they look like trash. So I, I don't go near one. And the place I worked or got this job at, I didn't realize it when I started, was the same way. It had a miserable reputation. Um, in Ames, a town of without the college students, between 25 and 35,000 people. There was eight auto parts stores. <clears throat> we had one of the little ones. Everyone had overnight delivery. We did not. Everyone had girls delivering auto parts. We didn't. And everyone had three or four trucks. We didn't. And I was told when I started there that I was not going to be paid on commission but on a salary. And I was told that the store was doing about $20,000 a month. And my salary, the way they figured what your salaries were, was based on a 6% of what the store is doing. The average, so, you know, 1200 big dollars. <clears throat> and for me at the time, that was going to be, you know, the most I'd ever made in my life. And, and I was going to get, you know, expenses too. So I thought, this is going to be great. Well, I started there and found out it was all a lie. I found out because I went through all the records that they've been doing $10,000 a month for the last two years. That meant $600 a month gross. That's what I was going to make. Then I found out that the expense account was a draw on my salary. <clears throat> so that's why I went to work at Zap, too. Some of you know that story. But I thought, God, here's an opportunity to prove God. Here's an opportunity to see God really come through. And I would get these things in the mail from Cedar Rapids because Cedar Rapids is where the headquarters was. And they would send me these quotas, see? These great glorious quotas, these prizes that we would give away if someone was gullible enough to buy $500 worth of shock absorbers and stock them. They'd get a new heater or a new set of wrenches or, you know, etc., etc. <clears throat> well, having a little bit of wisdom that I did... I knew that only a fool, only a complete idiot, based on the reputation we had, would go out and try to get them to buy my promotions. I'd already been in some of the places, and before I even opened my mouth, you know, after I told them where I was from, with a few choice adjectives, they threw me out. This place had a miserable reputation, a really bad reputation, for not keeping its word, for slow, sluggish, lazy delivery, for never having the right part when you wanted it. And, and we didn't care about people, and they knew that. So, my goal, I had one goal, one, to earn their respect. It's like the Smith-Barney commercial. You know, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. And I realized that the only way I was going to be able to make a living at this place was if, first of all, I built the reputation of this business on me. 
Sigs could mean nothing. Either I made the business or the business stayed the way it was. And the way it was, was bad. Really bad. Because of the specific individuals that I always heard about when I went in. So finally, I would let them cuss at me and yell at me. And that's what happened. Because a few people really got burned. And then I'd say, George, man, you're completely right. You're completely right. I can't believe the kind of things that happened. And George, I can't make up for them. All I'm asking you for is a chance to be the third or fourth parts house that you call. I don't even want to be first. I just want to be the third or fourth that you call. Just give me a chance. Because this business rises or falls with me. And all I can say is, I'm going to do everything I can to earn your business. Well, of course, you know, you got to work in a team. And the problem was, I would have given my right arm to have two more of me or two more like me. One delivery girl or a guy and one guy on the phone. The problem was, number one, they didn't know the Lord. They had no incentive. They were getting paid minimum wage. So I had a lot, I mean, I had a lot working against me. An awful lot. So I would load up my car. I had to carry about 100 pounds of catalogs in my car. And I would load up batteries in my car and deliver them out to the little country places. And and I'd take batteries back I shouldn't have taken. Target, the way they do business. Dayton's the only way to do business. It's the only way to do business. So I'd take them back and I'd get yelled at. And I'd say, well, boss, I know you want the business to grow. and, And it's growing steadily. You just uh, give me a chance. I know what I'm doing. And um, little by little, our business began to grow. The first year, it grew 85%. In other words, we went from 10000 to $18,500 average. And God really used that in my life to make an impact on me, the importance of earning people's respect and of being excellent. Men like Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart and Oral Roberts, and I could go on and on, have done irreparable damage to the reputation of Jesus Christ in the world you and I live in. You cannot go out into the world and expect people to kiss your feet and to kiss your God when his servants have drugged his name in the mud. It won't happen. Or as Brent was sharing, how many times when you were young in your youth, how many churches has some individual gone to? The music absolutely stunk. I mean, the person was singing because they, you know, they, they wanted to sing. They couldn't sing. I want to share something with you. A non-churched individual doesn't see the heart. They do not look at the heart. They look with their eyes. They do not have eyes of the heart. They have eyes in the brain. And they either like what they see or they despise what they see. Very few times 
with a non-churched individual, are you going to get a second chance? I learned this a very hard way. And I know I don't take all the responsibility for this because I know God had a sovereign plan in my life. But I remember, some of you will relate to this, 11 years ago when I went to visit Kathy's parents and talked to them about marrying their daughter. I was young, zealous for Christ. I bought all my clothes at the Goodwill and the Salvation Army because I was a zealot for God. I'm telling you, I was sold out for Jesus Christ. He had everything he wanted. My hair was long. My, my goggles were work goggles, spectacles, John Denver type, you know, with safety lenses. I was a machinist. And I was going to live for God. And I had a Ford Falcon 1964 with one white door and one blue door. They used to be blue, but it got in an accident. So I bought one from the junkyard and put a white one on. Didn't paint it. You know, that. I have money to put into a car? Why, that's going to burn! And so, my father wisely said, Mark, listen to me. I think you should drive my Mercury Marquis down to see your parents. No, Dad, I wouldn't want to be, you know, hypocritical. I, I wouldn't want to give a false impression. Okay, son. So off I went. Our 64 Ford Falcon. My white painter pants that came to here. <clears throat> which I actually hate pants like that. I don't know why I did. I think, well, because they, they were the dressiest ones I had. And then I had boots on, so I see I didn't think they were too bad. And I had a nickel for a belt buckle. And my hair was combed nice and I had a blue sports shirt on. So I went down to see Kathy's parents and I'll tell you what, it's actually, I think, fortunate they didn't blow my brains out. They took one look at me, one look at the car in the driveway, and I had the gall to ask them to marry their daughter? We drive up to this $200,000 home you ever been to Long John Silver's and seen the big ropes and the big things sticking out? Well, that's what their backyard looks like. Three decks. In comes this bum and says, I love your daughter. You love our daughter. What are your financial plans, son? Well, um, <laughs> gee, I never thought about that. Um, I'm a machinist. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I want to be a missionary or something. Oh, yeah? What kind of insurance do you have? Uh, I don't have any. You don't have any. You have any in your car? Oh, no, I'm trusting God. You know what? And out from the cedar, Father jumped. And you know, I thought back over that and I thought, gee, Lord, it really was a, a, a blessing. They didn't kill me. I must have looked like Charles Manson to them. Now, now, I, now at the time, see, I was totally, I'm like you. I was totally sincere. I loved her. And I love them and I love the Lord, but I was an idiot. And some of you are that foolish. Because they did not have eyes of the heart. They have eyes in their brain and man looks at the outward appearance. Man makes his judgment based on the outward appearance. And you will never, never get to the heart till you get through the outward appearance. I had a guy walk up to me and he just left. He walked up to me, he hasn't seen me. I said, Mark, you look like a million bucks. You look like you ought to walk out of here today and step into your Jaguar. And I thought, that's exactly what I want to give, the impression. That is exactly what I want people to think. I do not want them to go, oh, you look like one of those weird Christians, you know. 
They don't care about nothing in life. They don't care about their appearance. They don't care about the car they drive. You know, if you don't care about those things, you don't care about what, 2 million, 5 million, how many people in this country, 250 million people, that's what they care about. That's what they live for. That's what they die for. And you have the gall to, to give them a ride in your car. And as they get in the car, you're pushing the pop cans over and moving the paper. And there's crumbs all over the seat. Don't you dare do that. You have done more damage to the name of Christ by giving someone a ride in a car that's a pit than if you'd fall... That, just as much as Jimmy Swagger has done. Just as much. Because they see a lackadaisical, apathetic, non-caring attitude. And I'll tell you, it's taken 11 years, 11 years for God to drive this home to me. That Mark, if you really care about people, then you'll change the things that need to be changed. And you'll get serious about being excellent for me. I just want to make sure that you understand that I'm not talking in just a bunch of wind. What I'm sharing with you is so biblical, it's unbelievable. And I'm going to give you some examples I don't have time to go through them step by step. But I am trusting that you will go home and prove it to yourself biblically. <clears throat> Almost every Old Testament example of a person God used, the Bible almost exclusively comments on how they looked. Abigail, it says she was a beautiful woman. Esther, it says she was beautiful in form and figure. David says he was handsome, he was ruddy, he was strong in, in stature. Saul, it says he was tall, strong in stature. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Comments on every one of them. That they were different men. They were men with a great depth of understanding. They were skilled, they were handsome, they were, they were together. Now, I want to make sure, very sure here, that no one misunderstands me. I do not consider myself handsome. What I'm talking about is being the best you can be. I don't think Abigail, you know, maybe Raquel Welch is be better looking than Abigail. Who knows? What I am saying, simply saying, is that the Bible comments on it. And God's the one who wrote the Bible. God is concerned about what things appear. You want to know how concerned God is? Let's talk about the world for a minute. I'm not a scientist, and I may say some dumb things here, so... Bear with me. But you and I live in an extremely complex world. And this world was made for you. It was a gift from God to you. And he put you on this planet after he had finished all his work. Proverbs says, do your work in your field outside first. Afterwards, then build your house. And God obeys that principle. So God built this world and he made flowers. You know, I'm really, I'm really into flowers. Now, I'm not into the names. But I really like... We, we planted these flowers. <clears throat> In fact, it got started when we were in our trailer court because we wanted to make our trailer stand out and the trailer alone wasn't going to stand out. Okay? So what we did was, I dug in front of the trailer where the, the, the iron comes, you know, where you hook on. And I dug underneath it and I went out my car. Okay? You know, and I was poor. <clears throat> and I went out my car to a farmer's field that I always went by every week on my route. And they were in the ditch and I knew they were free and I took tons of these stones, you know, that farmers dig up in their field, on my family and we filled them. We filled our trunk till the car was like this. 
And we got home, and I put this beautiful stone edging all around, see? And then I went and bought 85 petunias. And my wife and I, we dug and we put them right in an orderly fashion. Man, you could see that place a mile off. It was just, I wanted people to know there's life here. There's life. This is a lively place. And then I couldn't have money to go buy an evergreen. And so evergreens have always been near to my heart. And um, may reflect on why we call the church evergreen. And I went out into the ditch, out into the woods, and I found this, you know, wild evergreen. And I dug it up. And I took it and I planted it and then I put these bricks that were laying behind my trailer around and I got bark and I put bark in it. And every week I cut that lawn. I had a lawn that was uh, um, 10 feet by 20 feet. And I cut it and I trimmed everywhere. And everyone would comment, the neighbor, you know, this place has really changed since you guys came. Not just our home, but the whole trailer court changed. It changed. I went out and mowed the lawn and, and did all the edging, see? So at our house, we just planted a bunch of these flowers and took this old sink that was outside and put some dirt in it, planted some flowers, put it on an old stump and took this old iron ring that was laying against the house and planted it, put it out front of the mailbox where the grass really never grows right. It's kind of weeds and dug it and put some flowers in there. And I water every morning. I go out about 6, 6.30 in the morning. First thing I do after I shower, I just go out and shower the plants, you know, watch them grow. I just love to watch them open up and grow. In fact, Brent kind of got me into gardening. My wife's really into it, and I, I water it. And I just love to go out there, and every day it's just bigger, and it's bigger, and it's bigger. It's pretty neat to look at this beautiful garden, you know, if you weed it and take good care of it. It's appealing. <clears throat> God has gone to a lot of work for you, brother and sister. How many of you have been to the conservatory at Como Park? <coughs> that place is beautiful, and God's the one who made it. Now, what would it be like if we lived in a black and white world? There's only black grass and white trees. Okay? And, again, people are either black or white. Everything's black or white. Clothes are black or white. Cars are black or white. House are black or white. In the day it's white, in the night it's dark. It's black. You know, black, white, black. That'd be boring. That'd be terrible. Who would want to know a God like that? Especially if God had given you a creative capacity. You would think to yourself, oh, you know, gee, this guy's a bore. You know, where's the color? Where's the life? You ever walk by someone's yard? Two types of yards. <clears throat> you got George over here. And his yard is, well, we've got three, three types. And George's yard over here, he didn't like mowing the grass. And uh, so he didn't put much into his lawnmower. He didn't care much about the lawnmower. He's got one, you know, that cuts, but it leaves half of them standing. You know, it's so dull. You know what kind of lawnmower that is. And he goes out every week, you know, drinking his beer, and, and he mows his lawn, and he gets done. Oh, I got it done, Martha, now get off my back, you know. And he goes back in and sits and watches his game. You've got Sam over here. He's the next guy, and, he, you know, he really kind of cares about his lawn. And he goes out, and he's got a good Toro lawnmower. And he mows it every, day, every week. And he keeps it watered, and it's green. You know, it's nice. And then you've got Jack. Now, Jack is really into yards. Jack's got a Honda lawnmower. <clears throat> and he mows that every week. But not only does he mow the lawn, he's got a trimmer. And he trims all around the edges. Not only does he have a trimmer, but he's got these beautiful trees and flowers. And around all these trees, he's dug up and put some beams in. And put some beautiful colored rock in. 
And not only does he do that, but his flowers, there's all these varieties and all these colors. And it's just a joy to look at. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Ever seen that kind of a yard? Now, which yard would you rather have? One, two, or three? Huh? One, two, or three? Three. Do you know how much work it takes to have number three? Beautiful yards don't happen, do they? My yard takes three hours and 15 minutes to mow. And I've decided since I'm not so young anymore, I do it in sections. I just can't handle doing all at once. It just, I get so beat, you know, pushing and pushing and pushing, you know. And we just had our landlady come. It's the first time we've met her since we've had the place. And i got to be honest with you, my goal is to impress her. I really wanted to instill tremendous confidence in her for a few reasons. One, so she wouldn't raise the rent. Two, so she'd know that her home was really being well taken care of. And three, because I wanted to win her to the Lord. Those aren't necessarily in their order of importance. And so that yard was immaculate. My wife and kids, since we've been there, have raked 83, 14 bushel bags of leaves. And, and those honey locust things that come down and make a huge mess of your yard. And man, my little daughter just took around and showed her all that yard. She couldn't believe we were mowing that back section of the yard. See, I mow it because my other neighbors don't like looking out their window, looking at a trash heap, would you? That's why I mow it. I don't get much joy out of that part of the yard. But I mow it for them. Because who likes to go out to their beautiful deck and they've taken care of their yard. And right in the back of them is this ugly looking, you know, junk heap. That's what it looks like when all the weeds grow up. And boy, she walked around and she came in. She sat down. She went on the house and said, Mark, I'll tell you, I am just so thrilled with the way you guys are taking care of this. You know, I was really concerned. I mean, you know, a lot of my friends were telling me, don't be a landlord. And I said, well, Virginia, I hoped you would be. Because I want you to know that as long as we're here, this place will be taken care of like it was your own. Like you were here. And I want you to know that I think it would be in your best interest not to sell this home. Don't make a rash decision. I was serious. I was serious because, because this is going to be a nice little nest egg for her. And I want her to know that you don't have to worry about its care. We're going to take care of it. If it needs painted in the bathroom, we'll paint it. And I really was sincere about that. Not just because I was hoping to stay there. But because I sincerely wanted her to have the confidence that 25, you know, 2,500 miles away, her home is being taken care of. Excellence takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of sweat. It takes a lot of removal of sweat. And I think, brother and sister, we need to learn to look at ourselves through the eyes of unchurched Harry and Mary. Please do that with me today. Bear with me. If you think this is a little folly, I'm sorry. Talk to me later. But bear with me because I think this is very, very important. People judge us. And God's the one who made the statement. He said, <coughs> He said, man, God does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Now, I'm thankful God looks at the heart. And I would want you to know that God has chosen to use the weak things of this world to confound the wise. But there is no excuse for lazy lackadaisical, sluggish mannerisms, dress, or the way we live our lives. 
And if you think there is, then you don't have a professional, excellent attitude towards your God. Because God is more important than Donald Trump. God is more important than Trammell Crow. Some of you have heard of Trammell Crow. He owns most of Dallas. He just built one of the most gorgeous buildings, facilities in the cities, right over by the Bush Lake area. And I was talking to a brother um, who works near there. And every morning for the people who work in that building, there is a man in a tuxedo playing a concert grand piano. You don't think that would affect your work day? It's immaculate. It's marble floors. Right across from us, let me see where. There, over there, are all Devonshire estates is Trammell Crow's estates. He built them. I went over there one day with Jim Frame and Doug Hill. And I felt very out of place. I wish they would have had my suit on. I have never been in a clubhouse like the clubhouse they have or the kind of living facilities they have over there. And what I'm saying is I'm not talking about living the high life, but I'm talking about we've got people out there that are living for hell, that are living for nothing that counts for eternity, and yet they have a passion to do things excellent more than the children of God. That is a crime. That is a crime, in my opinion, against God. I apologize for my cold today. Um, I just had to trust God. The songs I worked on seven hours this week, those songs, going over and over and over them and working on my high notes all week. It was no problem. Today, well, I woke up and was hacking and I feel a little bit like I did when I, we did the album. I just have to trust God. But I don't take things lightly. Sometimes you may think I'm a shoot from the hip kind of guy. I'm really not. Now, I'm not an ultra planner either. But I put effort into what I do. I really, really do. I put effort into my family. I mean, my family may not get up at a set time every day. They may not go to bed at a set time because I'm kind of a spontaneous guy. But I want to tell you, they don't leave the house unless they look fit to kill. They don't even play in the backyard usually unless their hair's all combed. They might meet a neighbor. And what would the neighbors think if there's dirt all over their face and boogers running down their nose? You know what they're going to think? Whose parent is that? Some welfare idiot! That's what they're going to think. And I don't want anybody to think that because I'm not. I'm God's ambassador. I'm His ambassador. And in their mannerisms, in their appearance, in their speech, I want, I demand... That they glorify their God. I go out with my wife. I dress her. I I know what's in. And I go out and I pull this on. Mark, you sure you want me to wear that? Yes, you wear that. Put it on. I love to dress her kind of like a doll, you know. I I really get into it. I really like it. You know, and I just wish I could do it more, better. But, you know, I'm learning as I go. Why? Why do I do that? Because I'm concerned about the world you and I live in. Why do we go to the trouble, you know, why did I go to the trouble to, to build my reputation before I ever opened my mouth at SIGs? Because I wanted their business. And you know, brother and sister, it takes time to build a relationship. I was with Jim and Mary last week, and some of you remember me talking about them a lot this summer. I was with them, and 
we had such a precious time together because it's really the first time I've been with them since they've really been growing in the Lord. And I walked in, I'll tell you, Mary, she had that place just, you know, immaculate. Boy, and they're not, they don't have very much money. But boy, she's creative. She's a cosmetologist. And she's very creative. And so they made, Jim found this stuff at a garage sale. And he put this stuff on the wall. They live in a townhouse complex. And I went in and she had refreshments for me. And, and she had her table. Already it was like 6 o'clock in the evening. Well, no, it wasn't. I got there about 9. I'm sorry. It was about 9 o'clock. And her table was already set up with individual coffee mugs, little papers and little Bibles and pencils for her next morning Bible study she had in the next morning. It's already done. And they've been sharing with me all that God has been doing in their lives. And, and Jim was sharing that morning, Wednesday morning, Jim had been up at 5 a.m. to go golfing with some guys at work. He's trying to win to the Lord. They go to this church, Willow Creek Community Church. And I, I have to say, I guess I'm really thankful to God that they had to move. They ended up there. I just praise God. They ended up there. Because they're growing and they're, they're using. They're, what's so ironic, i got to be honest with you, what's so ironic is the things Kathy and I did with them, in a sense, experimentally. And, and without telling anyone, because I was afraid of what people might think. I really was. Their whole church does. Mary told me, Mark, she says, boy, she said, we just thought back about the things you've done with us. And she said, there's a girl that was in my wedding. Her name was Mary Ellen. And she said, Mary Ellen lives in Chicago, and she, she was my maid of honor. And I've been trying to win her to the Lord. So I just thought back to some of the things you did with us. And before Allison was born, I would go and meet her at this lounge after she got out of work. And we would have a couple drinks. Or I'd just have a wine cooler, she'd just have a beer. And she said, after about three months of that, she, I invited her to come to our secret service on Sunday. And today, she saved Mark. And she comes once a week over here sharing her quiet time with me. And she's involved in one of the discipleship groups. Jim was sharing with me with a guy he works with that he's been golfing with and golfing with and invited to his secret service. And the guy came and that he's saved. And he's involved in one of their ministries. Any of us can make friends. But I want to tell you something. People are turned off. People may be turned off by you or I. And please take me seriously about that. I say this in love. I really say this in love. You and I have the most important mission, the most important job in all the world. There's not a higher calling than what you and I have. There is no excuse to do it in a lackadaisical, sluggish, complacent manner. There is no excuse for using out-of-date machinery to, to harvest in the fields of God. No excuse. If we, can put, if we have the capability to put out literature that looks like it came from IBM and we don't use it and we use some old mimeograph machine that leaves blotches all over the paper, there is no excuse for that kind of stupidity and for that kind of folly. God wants to use you and I. I want to give you some of these references. <clears throat> David was an excellent shepherd. In 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 13, and verse 18, in chapter 17 and verse 34, I want to just make a couple observations on this man, David. I've talked primarily now about appearance. I want to talk about some other things that are just important. The pursuit of excellence is an all-encompassing lifestyle. 
It is not something you just do in one area. I bring my toothbrush to meetings like this because, frankly, I would hate to put anyone out having to stand listening to me talk to them face to face and my breath stinks. That's very unloving. I wash my face five or six, 20 times a day. So I can't, you know, Mark's glasses are going to slide down his face, you know, push it back up, you know. There's grease and oil all over my face. I mean, one, I can't, I don't like it. You know? I take care of myself. I try to take care of my things. Why? I mean, I try to wear deodorant. Why? I mean, why is this a big deal on, I like Marvin Hagler's new thing on Right Guard. You know, you know, you've know, seen Marvin Hagler's new commercial in Right Guard? Let's see who's watching TV and who isn't. Okay, raise your hand. Oh, that's sad. Well, anyway, Marvin Hagler's got this new commercial. Marvin Hagler was the middleweight champion of the world. In my opinion, he still is, even though Sugar Ray Leonard beat him. Um, he still is, in my opinion, undisputed. Um, but he, he's bald, and the guy's vicious. Vicious, vicious guy. They show him on this beautiful lawn. You know, this Victorian lawn with the big pillars and the beautiful greenery. And, and he's walking along saying, you know, and he talks a little bit funny. And because he's kind of, you know, punchy, I mean, after that many fights. But he works really hard at it to be real articulate. Sugar Ray's just a little bit more articulate. And he says, um, you know, I work very hard at being and smelling nice. Anything else would be uncivilized and he shoves this right guard down you know I didn't get the whole commercial but you really get the point that if you don't smell cool it's really barbaric okay well here's the point you and I may smell and I may love you anyway right but the world's brainwashed with another philosophy and if you don't adopt that philosophy to the degree that you can and that it's not an unrighteous one you won't have a shot with them. You won't have a prayer. Because they're not going to put up with it. They're not going to endure it. they got no spirit of patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. They could care less. They don't endure those kind of things. Are you seeing the commercial? The girl's doing her, her big presentation. And you know they're talking about the new, right, that new uh, antiperspirant, sure. And she's leaning over at the table doing all her diagrams. And this guy goes, oh, you know, and doesn't... And, you know, can't listen to the rest of her presentation. And they go, Mary, are you sure? And she kind of goes, you know, kind of, you know, sheepishly like, ah, oh, gee, I, I didn't use sure today, you know. Well, people are brainwashed. you got to understand with those commercials. And um, David strikes me as a man who is excellent. And I don't know if you ever thought in these terms, but I just want to relate a few things today. Excellence on your job. There is no excuse for not doing what you do the best that you can do it. I today and God am not asking you to do what you cannot do. I am not asking you to be what you cannot be. I would not ask someone to come up here who could not sing to sing. And someone who is scared to death but could sing to sing. God is only asking you to do according to what he's given you the ability to do. But if he's given you that ability, do it with all your might. Not for men, but for the Lord. Now David was this kind of a man. I want you to think of yourself. This is a beautiful pasture. 
And you're out there with your little sheep. You see, there's about a thousand, two thousand sheep. And you're sitting, strumming on your harp. Thrum, thrum, thrum. And all of a sudden you hear this, ma, ma, ma. My voice says, I can't do my imitation. And all of a sudden you see, how many of you ever been in Burger Brothers Sports Shop in Bloomington? you got to go there. There's a nine-foot Kodiak bear. Stuffed Kodiak bear. And it is, it is frightening. So imagine, you're sitting down, and he's a kid. See, so he's about 15, 16. And he looks up, and there is this monstrous bear with one of his lambs. You know what we'd probably do? Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you'd be satisfied with one lamb. Pray a sacrifice and offering to you, Lord. Take the lamb. Take the lamb. And you know what David did? Because he was excellent at what he did. He ran after the bear, grabbed it by the chin, and killed it. Another time, he's sitting there, you know, polishing up his stones and greasing down his leather sling. Because you never know when you might meet a Goliath. He's got it ready, see? That kid had it together. He's rubbing that and he's got these, you know, stones there. And all of a sudden, you know, here's this, another, bah, and he looks and there's a lion, a full-grown male lion. And it's got this lamb in its mouth. And David's going, oh my goodness, you know, not again, Lord. My dad won't notice another lamb missing. But God, you will. And he attacked the lion. You thought Tarzan was a joke. There was a guy who really lived who was like that. His name was David. And do you want to know something? He wasn't Samson. Samson had no problem doing that kind of stuff because he was supernatural. And he took the sheep right out of its mouth. Saved the sheep from the impression I get. He must have really practiced that kind of stuff. The point I'm saying is that David went the extra mile. Excellence always goes above and beyond the call of duty. Because our call is a call that is above and beyond the call of duty. Remember what Jesus said? If someone asks you for your coat, give him your other coat as well. If someone asks you to walk a mile, go with him too. I mean, really overdo it. Make the point. Go the extra mile. I'll tell you, you change this very aspect at your job. And you'll, get, you'll make more money. And God will get more glory. Do what you do as excellent as you can do it. And then work to expand your capabilities. And work to expand your ability to do it better. Be hungry to learn. God's work needs to be done that way. You see, do you know what a disciple is? He's a learner. She's a learner. Are you hungry to learn? Or are you decided today that, Mark, I don't need this baloney you're spouting off. I don't need that stuff. No, I don't need your advice. I'm doing fine. Well, I guess that's between you and God. My question is, are you a learner? Because Jesus is looking for learners. He's looking for learners. Another thing that struck me about David was that David always brought God into his life. And that God would have never allowed David to have Goliath if he hadn't killed the sheep and the bear when no one was looking. God knows your heart today. God knows your spirit. God knows your desire. I don't. 
All I know is what's reflected in how you live. But God knows. God knows. Sometimes you may wonder, Mark, why don't I ever have Goliath? Why hasn't God done more with my life? I want you to turn to 1 Timothy. If you would. 2 Timothy, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse uh, 20 it says in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay some are for noble purposes and some are for innoble purposes if a man cleanses himself from the latter he'll be an instrument for noble purposes made holy useful to the master and prepared to do any good work I believe personally that this is excellence personified. With every one of us, including me, there are areas of wood and clay and God wants them gone. And if you are willing to get rid of the wood and clay, you'll be a noble use type individual. And God wants that for your life. And you'll be prepared for anything God brings your way. I always think this. I work to always think this. Everything, every experience I went through life, every hard thing, every difficult, I knew, God, I'm taking this. Now, it was hard, and maybe it made me cry, and maybe it really brought me to my knees in discouragement or despair or desperation before God, but I knew there's coming a time I'm going to be able to use every one of these things I've been through, and I use them all the time. Just about every story I ever share, some experience that has happened that God brought me through. And God has had to work a lot in my life and God has got a lot to do in my, more in my life. There are some things that only God can change, friends. And there are some things that you can change. And God won't change unless you change them. For example, maybe your shoes need polished. God's not going to come down and polish them for you. And if you're not faithful in the little things, why would you dare think that God would give you more? And why get frustrated? There's no need to get frustrated. Only go God. The faithful man abounds in blessing. The faithful man abounds in blessing. And I know many of you, and I've seen and watched your faithfulness, and I've watched God bless you and work and use your life. There's a young lady here today. She, she left. I was hoping she'd be here, but she's not with the church. She's with a different church. And her father pastors there, and I'm glad she's staying with that church. And uh, she called me the other day. She was at only two Friday night studies that we've had. And she said, Mark, she said, I got to tell you how much that study meant to me the other night. She said, you know, you were talking about this area, being excellent and winning people for Christ. And she said, so the first day I started at Slumberland, Monday. And she said, I was remembering your donut story. So she said, I got to work 20 minutes early. And I went out and I bought fresh donuts. And I took them to work and I gave one to everybody. And people wonder, what in the world's wrong with you? You know, what's going on? He said, oh, nothing. I just want you to have a nice day. And she gave him a donut, each a donut. Well, then she got to her manager, and he said, oh, no, I don't. What do you want? What do you want? Whose job do you want? And she said, oh, I, I don't want any job. He goes, of course you do. Nobody just gives stuff out for nothing. She said, well, you can take the donut or, or, or leave it. She said, it's just for you. He said, I'll tell you by the end of this day what you want. I'll, I'll figure it out whose job you want. So at noon he came up to her and he said, you know, Debbie, he said, I, I think I figured it out. 
And she said, yeah, well, tell me, whose job do I want? And he said, you don't want anybody's job. This is the way you are. You really care about people, don't you? I mean, you really want to make friends with the people you work with. Well, she'd worked there last summer, and there was a different crew, but there was one girl that last year had been a very difficult working with her. She was kind of a manager type uh, girl, and, and it had been rough going. Well, I was talking about this very thing, about doing whatever you do, doing it with all you've got, and don't make excuses. And so Debbie said, I end up having to work with her this one day. And she gave me some things. They were way above my head, and I knew they were, and she knew they were. But Mark, I did what you said. I did the very best I could. I didn't get frustrated. I didn't get discouraged, because then you usually do a lot worse than you could have done. She said, I did everything I could. And she came back, and she was amazed at what I got done. She couldn't believe it. And it's changed our whole relationship. She also got a jelly donut. What am I saying to you? What am I saying to you? Your job in life, brother and sister, is an ambassadorship. If you were an ambassador to France, you know what the government gives? You know what taxpayers' money those guys get? To give presents? Because a gift makes room for you. Your job, you want to, cha- you want to have friends? You want to have unchurched Terry like you? Give them something. Give them something. Get involved. Be excellent. Don't make excuses. Okay? I'm never going to be like Robert Redford. You know, I'm never going to look like Paul Newman. And I'm not asking anyone here to do that. And some, some of us are in all different phases of life. Some, some of us are in a wheelchair the rest of our life. Some of us can't speak. Some of us can speak real well. Some of us can't hear real well. Some of us know more than the others. Some of us have different gifts. That's fine. I'm not talking about being someone we're not. I'm just talking about the be the, being the person God made you to be and being at the very best that you can be. And working diligently to fit in to the society that you and I live in. If we lived in the 1800s, then I'd probably ride a horse. You know, I love horses today, but just not feasible. And, and you know, I, I like animals, but I don't have a backyard full of chickens because you know what the neighbors would think. What kind of hillbilly hick moved in next door to us? See? And I'm really serious about that. I love animals. I thought about a little goat... You know, or a little lamb, but I thought, you know, I, I want to be real sensitive to my neighbors. Because, you know, they want to wake up to them, you know, or bah, bah, you know, and goat droplets all over the yard, you know, and, and they come back to use my backyard for golf and they step in some, you know. And, and so what I'm saying here is, is God is a sensitive God, and God has a passion for doing things right and at the right time. And do you know how I know that? At the right time, Christ died. For the ungodly. Now I want to tell you a little secret. I think it would have been okay, God, to come ten years earlier. What difference would it have made? It made a big difference. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time. What Brent said today out of Proverbs 9, I just want to underscore. Wisdom always does its homework. Excellence equals wisdom plus hard work. That's excellence. Excellence is wisdom plus hard work. And I want to really encourage you to take a long, hard look at the way you live and at your mannerisms, at your speech, at your conduct at work. Are you lackadaisical? Are you lazy? Could, quite frankly, someone find a reason because of something you and I could handle, but we don't for not believing God and deciding that God's not worth taking seriously? 
Let's have a passion for excellence. Let's have a passion for it. You've got to remember that the world, I, I would never want it said of me that they have a greater passion for excellence than a man of God. You know, Bill Heibel shared something with, with us while we were out there and I thought it was very interesting. And I was asking God yesterday for an answer and I think, I think God gave it to me. He said, I do not know why God has blessed us so much. I don't know why. He said, I know other men that are more godly and, and their churches are small. He said, I don't know why. And it's really bothered me. It's really bothered me because there's got to be a reason, see? Because I know God's principles are true. So I've really been mulling this over my mind and it hit me yesterday. I thought there's a big difference between godly, that is, being a man of prayer, getting in the word, being a man who never lets the wrong thing come out of your mouth, and being like the world and winning the world. There are men who maybe know how to go spend time in a closet on their knees in prayer. And there are men who this holy aura walks around them all the time. And I'm not going to name some men, but I've got some specific men in mind I know of today. But I want to tell you something. They're not winning the lost. They're not winning the lost. Oh, their glory in their great holy living. They glory in their great spiritual disciplines. But wisdom prepares. And wisdom meets the need of the people that are alive today. And wisdom wins a hearing. He is wise who wins souls. We may not all be evangelists, and we may not all have that spiritual gift, but one thing that we can all do, and that is become an effective inviter, an effective friend. We're not all going to be the same. We may not all use similar methods, and our gifts are different. My gifts are different than yours. Yours are different than mine. But when it comes to people, that's our business. That's what God has left us here to be ambassadors. And the Bible says He has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. He's made us adequate. You're adequate today. But be willing to, to ask yourself in light of the Word of God, God, what should I change? You know, I want to say something, if I can, I've never had the courage to say this before. I want to say it now, but I want to preface it by don't take me wrong. I kind of heard this when I was out at Willow Creek and it kind of struck me. And so I want to, I want to say it, but, but, I, but I really want you to know that do not take this personally. Just take this from the Lord. I um, was visiting with one person from Willow Creek and he go, yeah, our, our vision out here is to glorify God in our body, in our in, in our." and our living and our worship and everything else. And he went on to explain, and, and I kind of caught a glimpse of what he meant, and that is this. That I don't think it's glorifying to God to be overweight. I really don't. And when I'm talking about personal things here today, I'm talking about taking the time to ask God, God, all right, I want to change. You see, sometimes we struggle. I mean, I'm struggling too, believe it or not. I'm struggling for the first time in my life. And, I, and I've got a partner now. Lonnie's going to help me. And i got a plan, see? Because I hate exercise. That's boring. I hate running. I hate riding a bike. But I like basketball. I like tennis. And so Lonnie's patient enough to let me rest every two minutes. Because the other day we played, and after every shot, after every move I made, I fell down on the concrete. My lungs burned so bad. And, and, and I really... 
I really don't like this. My kids like to come up and go, Daddy, Jelly Belly, Jelly. And I hate it. I just hate it. You know, I got to admit you, I hate it. And I remember when I was 18, you know, when I was married, I had a 28-inch waist. And I, I'm always, and I, and I had the record in my school for sit-ups. We had to do, is how many sit-ups you could do in, uh, uh, I think it was a minute and a half. And I did 113, which is almost one a second. And, and so, you know, boy, I, I, I'm never going to be like my dad, you know. Oh, man. So now I'm at 32, and sometimes that's a little tough. In fact, one of my buttons came off today. I couldn't believe it. So I have this plan to three hours, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for an hour, just an hour, from five to six, I'm going to meet Lonnie for tennis one night, one-on-one the next night. And Lonnie's really good, see, and it really kills me. And, and Brent plays me tennis, we play tennis, and he's really good. And so I usually end up running there too. But it's the only way I think I'm going to be able to, you know, get my lungs back in shape when I sing and, 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 and you know, get rid of this. I, I, I don't like my kids, you know, doing that. I think... I, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder what the kids might grow up remembering. Daddy was a jelly belly. Daddy was a jelly belly. You know, I thought, oh, gee, I don't know if I want my kids remembering that, you know, because they might connotate that, yeah, Daddy was just kind of lazy, you know, and he just kind of was overweight. And I thought, you know, yeah, I don't want that. And I want to tell you something. I, some of us, it's a tremendous struggle for it. And I'm just beginning to learn. I mean, I, I have never had a problem in my life. I could eat anything I want, do whatever I wanted. Man, I always stayed at 100 30 and I, uh, 135, and I stepped on the scale, and I think I'm 160. And I'm like, 160? And I told Kathy, well, I'm finally maturing, that's all. You know, I, I'm finally really filling out like I've always wanted to. Um, but it's hard. But this has given me, I want to be honest with you, this has given me a really added motivation, the area of excellence. I thought, God, I really do. You know, I want... I don't want people to look at the body and go, oh man, what a bod. And I'm not pumping weights. And not that there's anything wrong with that. But, I, but I'd want them to go, you know, now that guy breaks the stereotype because the last speaker I saw preaching looked like this. Well, God has called me into the ministry and for 37 years I've been serving God. And I think, oh man, you know. I mean, you ever seen somebody like that? It doesn't just kill you. You think... The guy's living off the fat of the land. That's the impression you get, see? He's taking all the prisoners' money and he's eating good. And, uh, you know, I just say, I mean that in love. I'm working on it too. But let's take those kind of things before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, maybe our hair. You know, back in 1970, the 70s to the 80s, really, the long hair just flinged any old way was great. I mean, you know, everybody did it. It was great. That ain't great anymore. The sculptured, clean-cut look, I mean, that's in. Do we take that seriously or, or do we not? I was amazed at the things Willow Creek takes into consideration. I was amazed as they talked through. But I want to tell you, I went there as a learner. Brent and I went there as a learner. and We came away more educated because I believe that wisdom is always vindicated by its fruit. And anyone can go there and knock them all day, but I want to tell you, when you have 12,000 people showing up, and 10 years ago, or 13, they were at 125. They got my attention, let me tell you. They got my attention. And when I see someone that's effective, when I see someone that's fruitful in whatever realm it is, I always take notice. I want to learn. I want to know how I can be better. I want to know how I can be more like the Lord. The Lord does everything well, doesn't he? Praise the Lord for he has done excellent things. Wives, are your meals excellent? 
I usually tell my wife, uh, and I mean this, honey, don't you ever serve us or anybody else anything you didn't taste first. I don't ever want to be embarrassed. I don't want... And I remember one time, this wasn't my wife's fault. Her father sent us home with a wild duck, a smoked wild duck. And we had some guests we hadn't seen in a long, long time. Craig and Lee Correa from California. They came over. We're gonna have, we saved the duck, see? We brought out the duck, man. It was a glorious duck, smoked duck. So we each have our little portion of duck because they're not very big once you get all the feathers off. And I get my fork. And I could hardly wait because it smelled great. And I cut in and I bite. Oh, I couldn't help it. I really couldn't help it. It was awful. It was awful. And oh, and we didn't have anything else. That's how I used to live, literally from one check to the next. I mean, I, groceries was the next day, and that was it. And, oh Lord, you know. So I made a rule after that: we don't serve nobody nothing till I tasted it, you know, because you want to make sure that it's appropriate as an ambassador. Cultivate a little perfectionism. Don't go too far. Don't go too far. But cultivate a desire to be excellent. You know, take a look in the mirror and make sure the tie... You know, I've seen guys come up and they show up on Sunday and their tie is like this. You know, and I've seen guys at weddings and their coat's like this because they didn't look in the mirror and turn the collar down. You know, I mean... And, and then I've seen guys, you know, with the button and button, the Oxford button here. You know, and it's just... It's hilarious. Take time to, for the details. Take time for the details. They matter to people. And, and uh, you know, you look at the people who are effective with people, they're the people who take time for the details. That's all. If you're going to play tennis with an unbeliever, make sure you go and practice a little bit so he doesn't endure you. But don't be afraid to let him teach you. Be a good student. Be a good student. Take the time to really care about what people care. And I think personally, saints, this is what the Bible means when it says, look out for the interest of others. In other words, what is unchurched Terry concerned about? You concern yourself about his concerns. And I usually ask myself those questions. You know, Do I look appropriate for the setting I'm going to? Or am I going to embarrass somebody who's there? We had a, a wedding the other day. I'm going to give you this closing example, then I'm done. Um, Dennis and Rita's wedding. And uh, hopefully they'll be back with us soon. It was really a neat wedding. It was good to see their family out. It was exciting to see them finally married. And, um, but we were, we, we got, they were married in Emmanuel Baptist Church. Okay, you know, a little church we meet for a prayer meeting. And uh, there was a new couple that came. Uh, Dennis is, has a friend, and his name is um, John uh, and he's got an uh, Irish last name, Scazzani or Scazzoni or something like that. And his wife's name's Claudia. And he is the announcer for Channel 23. And um, so I was coming down the, uh, the stairway, and he goes, Mar! Or he, I don't know, he didn't call me by my name, but he said, hey. He said, you know, that was, he's Catholic, obviously Italian, usually staunch Catholics. And he said, you know, Mark, he said, that was really meaningful to me today. I mean, that wasn't like some of the other ones I've been to. And it was only, I think, a five. It was a record-setting wedding. I think it was 22 minutes we were done, start to finish. And I was doing this on purpose because it was kind of hot. And 
And, um, and, and then I was thinking of the seekers there. I really wanted to say something that would contribute to them and they'd go away with something. So he goes, you know, that really, I can use that stuff. So that was, that was some neat stuff. He said, I never heard that at a wedding before. And so we had lunch with them. And the lunch, Kathy, I think, did it and some friends of hers. It was awesome. It was like the one we had today, only a lot more. And, and it, was, it was just very attractive. And so we sit down for a little meal together. We laughed and, and we talked. And, and uh, I didn't worry about bringing up the Lord. We just related to them. And, talk, and it just so happened that Brent and I had just gotten back from Chicago that night before. And he likes country western music. To keep awake, Brent and I were listening to the country western station. And Ronnie Millsap was on with his new song called Old Folks. And I started to talk about that and his eyes just lit up like, you know, you're a pastor and you listen to music. And, and I could tell the whole time they were just scoping us out. And he came up to my wife afterwards and said, we're going to get together again. We'll be seeing you again. They had a very rich time. But I have to admit that there was, I had a little bit of embarrassment because they thought that was my church. I didn't like that. I wouldn't have that church in a million years. I wouldn't want some unchurched individual to think that's where I, we met. Because it's stuffy, it's cold, it's nothing there. And I hate being up on a podium like that behind those, oh, I just can't stand those, they're so impersonal. You know? Well, that's just my observation. But the reason I'm saying it is because that's the way people think. You don't think that way. You've got God's holy, wonderful spirit. And we're bigger people than that. But the seeker is not. And so everything Brent said, we want to work very hard at always taking home everything we, we bring here, always picking up under your seat. Come ready to make an impression on the seekers that come. Your friends are going to be bringing seekers. You're going to be bringing seekers. Try to be at your best. We've got ministry opportunities. I don't think there are needs. There are opportunities to make your life count for eternity. You know, some of you may have think, I've always been doing things like this. I have not. You know, you know what I used to go do? I used to go mow one of the pastors' names' yard. Every week, I mowed his yard. I mowed it. I cared. I wanted to free him up. I mowed his yard. Just a chance to wave to him. Just a chance to help him out. I haven't always been up here doing these kind of things. Any way I could serve, I did it. And sometimes they were foolish things. Sometimes they were things, lots of things nobody ever noticed. D.L. Moody started out setting up chairs. Setting up chairs at a Sunday school. And God blessed him. And i got to tell you sometimes, brothers and sisters, it, it burdens my heart at times that, that we don't take setting up chairs serious. About 80% of all the prayer meetings we've had, I've set up the chairs. About 90% of everything we ever do, I'm early. And some of you are, and some of you aren't. Please, please take God's work seriously. Please realize that you are a vital link, and this is a team effort, and we cannot do it alone. We need to take the work of God seriously. These are days of opportunity to count for Jesus Christ. And I want him to look at you and go, Well done, George. Well done, Harry. Man, I'll tell you, you were never late. You were always there. We could count on you. Last week, Tom and Julia Butts, they were helping the Mosiers move. 
Tom and Julia managed an apartment. They went out for me. I told them the carpet to go buy. They went and bought it. Two huge rolls. Took it home. Bought all the nursery stuff. Went all over looking for the best deals they could find on their own time. Got it all here early. Greg Moshe came, brought his car, brought the carpet early. Got, and they got, or Tom and Julie got that room all set up. And I thank God for you men and women. Let's take our jobs, our opportunities seriously. I have been showing up early for music for nine straight years. Being a Sunday school teacher for a year is not very much to ask. I mean, to do for Christ. To do for Christ. I am not up here for the glory, let me tell you. I'm not up here, you know, because it sends me. It's, 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 in fact, it's easier for me to speak than it is to sing. I have a harder time. But I'm up here for you and because I know I've only got one chance to make my life count. So if you're going to be the church artist, if you're going to be the individual who sees to it that everything is clean from this room when we're gone, if you're going to be the individual who God has laid in your heart to, to do the PA or to do the lights or to come and be the, be the point person who gets all this stuff up here without which we can't do a thing. Which I believe is probably one of the most important things that goes on in the church. Do it with all your heart. And realize that it, if you're doing it for the next 20 years, and I never tell you thanks, God has got an awesome crown for you. And all, I mean, if you, there's some one sister every Friday night Beth Wildey. Spent every Friday night she's there. She always comes in with a Coke or water for me. I get very cotton mouth, very dry. Always. She's got reward for every one. Every single one. You moms and dads, you that are involved. So many of you are involved. And I thank God for you. But we, let's enter into an era of greater excellence. Of greater enthusiasm for the work of God. The greater desire to do it with everything we have. And let's not make excuses for lackadaisical effort. Oh, well, I got a phone call. Hang up. I'd rather hang up on someone than be late for an obligation. Well, it was my mother. Tell your mother you got a call back. Someone was asking me the other day, you know, Mark, you think I should come to celebration? I said, well, let me put it this way. One time out of a month, one time, we get together to worship God. He's worth it and learn from Him. And it just so happens, I'm sure you know, that all these wonderful things to do with the unchurched or your family falls on Celebration Sunday. I wouldn't do one of them. I wouldn't miss this almost if my life depended on it. I came here today sick and I've come before sick. And I would, it would t- cost a lot for me to miss this. Because it's the only time I get to worship God with you. And there are three weekends out of the month on which to do whatever you want. Then it ever strike you funny that it always seems to fall in Celebration Sunday? It's because God is testing you. God wants to know where our priorities are. And I thank God for all of you that have been here today. I thank God for your patience. Let's pray. And ask God for a spirit of excellence, a spirit to do it right. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray, God, that you'd help us to be excellent men and women. We pray, Lord, you'd help us not to make excuses for a lackadaisical life. I ask you, God, to help me. I need help in this. I ask you, God, that we'd see you're a worthy God. 
You are a worthy God. I mean, man alive, if the president called us on the phone and asked us to do something for him, we'd be up night and day making sure it was right. I pray, oh God, that we'd love you at, at least that much. I pray, oh God, that we would honor you at least that much to do whatever we do with all of our heart, with everything that's in us, with all of our power, and to put in the time it takes to make it winsome to the seeker. God, I pray that in the next two and a half years you would fill this auditorium. God, might a heart burns to see men and women have a place that they can come and be comfortable and learn about Jesus and come to know him. And Lord, help each brother and each sister here to realize that this isn't a one or two man show. This is a 150 person show. We're all a team and unless we pull together, we'll never make it. We want to score a lot of touchdowns. We want to get our act together.